welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction The particular chapter that we're considering here is called, Can We Learn to Love Roleplay? Now, roleplay can be used to address any or all of the areas of the consultation. It is different from a skills rehearsal where attention is paid to one or a very small number of related skills. For example, the skill of expressing empathy or the skill of assessing a patient's information needs. In a roleplay, an entire scenario is acting out which would normally include all or at least a very substantial part of the consultation. This makes role play more intense, more complex and more difficult both for the educator to set up and for participants to learn from. There are so many components to be considered. However, role play can be a very powerful learning technique. It can draw out difficulties in a situation, enable participants to practice in unpredictable situations and give them really effective experiential learning. Moreover, in a training environment, it enables a bit of experimentation with new skills in a safe and supported way. Such simulations enable complex skills to be honed without risk to patients. Clinicians are well used to this approach. Examples include CPR training, surgical skills training, fire drills, or even major incident rehearsals. However, clinicians are often very negative about role play when the same approach, that approach of simulation, is applied to consultation skills training. We hear remarks such as, I can't act, or, oh, it's awkward, or it's not realistic. To make role play work effectively, the educator must address these concerns directly. In this chapter, I'm going to include specific work on the attitudes which are needed for successful use of role play. In role playing simulations, only one person is actually acting. This is the person taking the role of the patient. It's very important to emphasise that role play is for the benefit of the participants. It's not for the benefits of an audience and it rehearses situations for the future. In this way, clinicians can be reassured that generally they're only required to be themselves, which is less demanding for many than acting a part. It's also possible to do skills rehearsals and role plays in which both parties simply behave as themselves. One example is given in the Talc Skills for Effective Explanations and Planning Care in the chapter called Do Non-Clinical Problems Take Up Your Clinical Time? The feeling of awkwardness or unreality is real and it should be accepted. It's normal and natural for simulations to feel different to real situations. But I think most clinicians would prefer not to receive all of their initial CPR and defibrillation training at a real cardiac arrest. Still, resuscitation training with dummies does feel odd and a bit unreal. Trying out new skills usually means changing habits we already have, and change does feel uncomfortable and awkward at first. Clinicians can be invited to reflect on whether it's better to feel that awkwardness with a colleague in a protected learning environment, or whether they'd prefer their first inexpert attempts to be at the expense of a real patient. Successful role play in training situations needs careful preparation. The scenario must be realistic enough to allow for improvisation and nuance, yet simple enough to be understood fairly rapidly. Role play is generally not suitable when training for highly complex situations. 
such difficult encounters are probably best managed through a mixture of multidisciplinary team and group discussions with updating of any specific skill sets like breaking bad news. Scenario planning, where a variety of possible outcomes are discussed and planned for, can also be useful, but this is beyond the scope of role play in most training situations. When preparing the scenario, the educator should be mindful of their aims and objectives. What aspects of consultation skills are they really trying to develop? What are the specific objectives they want to see achieved by participants? These are details which will help to clarify how the simulated patient might react. Keep any other supporting information as simple and straightforward as possible. And in the written resources that go with this chapter, there are examples of role play scenarios for some different situations. The effectiveness of role play, being experiential learning, critically depends on the quality and detail of the reflection, feedback and teaching that happens afterwards. So effective role play requires, first of all, negotiation with participants to explore their attitudes to role play careful scenario preparation, an explicit setup of the room, performance of the role play with agreed start and finish points, and debriefing to cover everybody's reflections, feedback from the educator, identification of learning needs and teaching on the skills. A review of learning points and commitment to try new skills in subsequent consultations will reinforce the learning. And in follow-up sessions, a rapid review of the effects of the new skills will also help to reinforce and embed them. When preparing for examinations, learners quite often use cases from books or case banks, and they do role plays with each other to practice. Some learners may benefit from this approach, but generally role play is too complex for this type of learning. The feedback is unlikely to be of sufficient quality to enable development because peers have limited awareness of what high standards of consultation skills are really like. Even actors in the exams cannot give really effective feedback. Peers may be unskilled at giving feedback. However, such group work is of great benefit if it's confined to specific skills rehearsal. And there's a whole chapter about that in this module. When working with a group, the educator needs to be prepared with an appropriate scenario in advance. And there are different options. You could use a pre-prepared scenario orientated to the specific type of problem that needs to be addressed, such as shared decision-making or a set of challenging telephone consultations. And there are examples given in the written resources. Educators can create scenarios or use cases that have other people have written. You can also develop a scenario based on a real consultation that the learners have struggled with, and this can be combined with video analysis. Alternatively, ask the learners to create the scenario themselves, perhaps basing this on a consultation that they found more challenging. Discuss which elements are the most important, trying to take out excessive complexity. If complexity itself is the issue, a role play may not be the best teaching method. Begin by exploring attitudes and beliefs about the subject. For example, if addressing shared decision making, how have clinicians already approached this with patients? How did it go? Where did they get stuck? How did they come to their conclusions about this? How do other people decide what works best? Educators may recognise a need for a short theory injection, presenting the evidence around the issue in question and describing the skills required in detail. When introducing the planned role play, we might need to explore attitudes to simulation and experiential learning as well, as I've already said, covering the issues of awkwardness and reality and I can't act. 
If groups are already well used to skills rehearsals and comfortable with each other, the educator may only need to introduce the role play itself for its educational benefits, explaining to the group that they are now ready for more complexity than is allowed for in a simple skills rehearsal. Explain the role and the task expected of the group before dividing them into smaller groups. State the nature of the scenario without explicit details. For example, here is an opportunity to practice some of the triadic consultation skills we've been discussing and describing. Divide the large group into three. Groups A will be the patient, group B will be clinicians, and group C will be the observers. Gather all the patients, all the clinicians and all the observers in separate huddles away from each other. Then give the patient their scenarios to read. Ask all the patients to discuss amongst themselves how they think this particular patient is reacting and feeling about their problem. What kinds of things might they say? Give the clinicians the details of their part of the scenario as well and ask them to discuss what they are thinking of as clinicians before the consultation. What do they imagine the consultation is going to require of them? Give the observers an observation sheet or checklist for any key points and ask them to reflect on what they think may be required in the kind of scenario that you have been discussing. How will they know if the consultation is proceeding successfully? What behaviours will they be looking out for? Then ask the clinicians and the observers to pair up and prepare a kind of clinic arrangement in the room with an empty seat for their patient. Spread these little clinic scenarios across the room to use the whole space. This means that people can't overhear each other too much. When everyone is ready and settled, signal the start of the consultation, stating explicitly how long the consultation will last for, and then ask patients to choose a clinician, enter into the room and begin the consultation. At the appointed time, stop the role play. In the small groups, ask the clinicians to comment on their thoughts before asking the observer and patient to give private feedback to the clinician, and then do a short debrief with the whole large group. What are their key reflections? Repeat the role play with different participants to participants taking the role of the patient, clinician and observer. After the second round, allow time for discussion in the small group again. And then in the whole group, ask the patients to report back on anything they found especially significant. Finally, do the role play for a third time. Allow for discussion and feedback in the smaller groups. In the whole group, ask the observers to report on the skills they've noted whether the consultation had changed over the three iterations. This can help to draw out the development of skills. Usually people gradually see what is needed by observing others and by changing the roles. Using the same scenario so that people see improving practice as skills develop and behaviours change helps to reinforce learning. Noticing success is actually quite motivating. Sometimes, depending on the situation, it can be useful to change the exact scenario to allow for some improvisation and novelty while keeping the skills needed the same. So, for example, three scenarios could be about a diabetic starting insulin who is worried about the effects on his job, or a parent starting methotrexate who is worried they'll get an infection from their young child, or an older person who's concerned that new diuretics will cause them to become incontinent, like what happened to my dad. In each case, the scenario is partly about the ability to explain a new medication and also about taking into account the individual patient's legitimate ideas and concerns. When the whole experiential learning episode is complete, 
ask people in the group to write down their own key learning points individually and then discuss them in pairs. You can ask the pairs to come together in groups of four to share their learning and then use those fours to report back to the whole group. This is called a pause, pair, share approach. This creates valuable reinforcement for the participants. Before moving on, ask if anyone has any key learning that has not really been shared with the whole group. This helps to capture all the learning and expose everyone to ideas they might not have thought of yet. Make sure that participants will identify how they're going to put their new skills into action in their next clinical encounters and follow this up at the next educational session. This will give you feedback about what was learnt, create opportunities to work through successes, congratulate people who've succeeded and resolve any difficulties or misconceptions. This chapter shows the complexity of using role play for teaching skills. I must say, using a simple skills rehearsal is often a simpler way to go. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.